Well, good morning. There's a lot of verses there, aren't there? Hopefully we can get through them all. Might have you out of here a little early. We'll see. Uh, as you can see, I've entitled our message, my message, Godly Givers, or the idea of, of generous givers. And I want to explain to you how I came to choosing this topic in a minute. But in my studies, I uh, came across a great cartoon that shows two guys who were very generous givers. And these two guys are standing outside the doors of the church having a discussion. And they're just standing there in nothing but their boxers. And uh, one of them turns to the other and says, that was the best sermon on giving I I have ever heard. <laughs> See, look, look at this here. <laughs> that was the best sermon I have ever heard on giving. Uh, they were really willing to give it all, weren't they? Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought it was pretty funny. I, I, uh, we're going to examine today Paul's example on the generous giving. And it is my prayer that you will put your generosity to the test. Comparing it to the examples that Paul has given us here uh, for the Corinthians to motivate them. And I hope that you will con- con- come to consider generous giving as a privilege and a joy, because that's what it is. I believe that godly givers are moved to action when needs are set before them and they participate according to their ability and beyond. I said I would tell you how I came to this uh, topic. I wasn't set up. Um, no one asked me specifically to teach on giving. But uh, I started to kind of pray about it a few months back when I was asked to speak. And I wrestled with a number of different possibilities on things I could speak about. And just before Christmas, I, I really felt like the Lord was telling me to speak on giving. And um, I have to admit, my initial response was a Jonah-like response. You know what I mean? Jonah, when he was asked by the Lord to go and preach to Nineveh, He literally ran away, and uh, I ran away from this topic. The reason is because I know that people have some pretty uh, strong feelings about their money, don't they? And uh, I know that even even in the church, uh, this can really stir up some strong feelings when we talk about money. And I was, I admit, afraid of maybe the potential fallout of such a message. But, thankfully, the Lord changed my direction before he had to use a, a big fish to do it. And, and I gotta say, the study has been, it has turned out to be a, a tremendous blessing to me personally. It has challenged me, uh, to look at my own practices of generosity and of giving and uh, to to continue to excel in those areas. I hope that it will do the same for you. Well, let's consider a little more closely those verses that Stephen just read. If you have your Bibles, stay uh, open up there to Second Corinthians eight, and and I'm really going to try to stick pretty close to these verses. I'll have a few verses that we a few times we'll step outside of these, but primarily we're going to be in these chapters right here. Paul begins this challenging chapter 
to his brothers in Corinth by drawing their attention, first of all, to God's grace. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That very first sentence, he says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. See, this wasn't just something that the Macedonians did on their own, on their own strength, on their own power, but, but God was behind this great work. The text says that these folks, the Macedonian churches, those believers, were living in harsh circumstances. It says that they were in the most severe trial. I think it was pretty bad. Some of us would say that we're going through a pretty severe trial right now with our economy. But I don't think we had anything on these guys. They were really suffering. Paul Paul knew what he was talking about when it came to trials, didn't he? He had been through and would go through more of the of suffering and trials probably than we will ever face. And uh he knew that the, the Macedonians were were really going through it at this time. In fact, it says that they knew extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. Have you ever seen extreme poverty? I I'm talking major poverty. I've only seen extreme poverty, I think, on on a couple of occasions. In Mexico, uh, on a missions trip, and in Guatemala, on a missions trip. Both times, the the poverty that I witnessed was was incredible. People living uh, at the city dump, building their homes there, and no, no luxuries that we would know here in the States. It was incredible, extreme poverty. I believe Paul could have been taken up a collection for the Macedonian churches, but instead, because of God's grace to them, in spite of their circumstances, they were the ones not only giving, but giving generously and giving joyfully. Great example. There are many times when God sets before his people examples of amazing things, and this is one of them. This is one of those situations where there is only, the, the only explanation is that God was at work. Would you agree? Material things and even essential needs seemed of little value to these churches at this time. They heard about the needs of fellow saints and they jumped at the opportunity to meet those needs. The Macedonian churches went down in history as generous givers. Isn't that cool? They got it. They did this so well that Paul uses them as an example to other churches and as an encouragement for other believers to follow. I think, I think that Paul's approach to this discussion on giving was very wise. 
he sets before the Corinthians a positive example of churches excited about the privilege of giving as a motivator. And Paul wanted to see the, see the testimony, uh, of the, Paul wanted them to see the testimony of, of these churches with much less who were giving much more. In my life, when, when I want to do something great, I look for people that are doing it well, doing that thing well that I want to do well. And I ask them to show me how to do it. And I've got a lot of examples through my life of, of times where people have, have been a good example to me and, and helped me to become better at something. Just a few weeks ago, when we were on our Christmas break, on my birthday, actually, I had the opportunity, the privilege to go with my dad and shoot some clay pigeons. And I had done it, I think I'd only done it once or twice before in my life. And my dad had given me a shotgun this year and, and so I was really excited about this opportunity. So we got our stuff together and went out to my dad's buddy's house and got our stuff all set up and, and there was a, a two-story trailer that had all the clay pigeon throwers on it and we had a spot marked out where I could stand with my shotgun and my dad was, it was just the two of us at the time, and my dad was up on the trailer and he was throwing the clay pigeons for me. And for about the first 10 or 20 throws, I did not hit a thing. And uh, it was uh, a little bit embarrassing. I was I was so excited about this opportunity, and every shot was a miss. But then, but then my dad's buddy got home, and my dad's buddy's name is Dave. Dave showed up, pulled up in his truck to the field where we were, and Dave is a great shooter, and he's a great instructor also. So Dave walked up behind me, and he just kind of started watching as as I was missing all my shots here, and. Dave, he's a great guy. He just, he started to give me some instructions. He started to kind of say, okay, this is what you're doing wrong, you're, and this is how you need to correct it. But he was, he was giving me, he was telling me what I was doing wrong, but then he went further and he showed me how to do it right. He took my gun, stepped up there, and started to show me the proper way to do it. And after Dave's instruction... I was hitting my targets almost every time. And that felt good. That felt good. If I knew somebody who wanted to learn how to shoot, I'd send him to Dave. He was a great example. That's what Paul's doing here. He's setting before the Corinthians an example of folks who were excellent givers. And he's saying, this, this should be something to look toward. Look at these guys. Look at, they're doing it well. There was an example uh, of rich generosity and godly giving, and they were right on target. You know, those verses that we just read, they're they're baffling to me. Uh, I I just don't understand. It seems to me that the natural response when we're suffering poverty, uh, when we're suffering and we're in poverty, is to give less, right? Right? That's the natural response. 
makes sense. And instead, they do the opposite. They give more, and they do it joyfully. I want to keep saying that. You're going to hear that often, that giving and joy, I think, are connected together. They were giving the opposite of of what we would expect. And it just doesn't make sense except for the Lord in their life. Think about your own life right now. This is the time for you to kind of examine yourself. Um, When was the last time you experienced overflowing joy? Maybe for some of you it's been a while. Maybe we need to just call out to the Lord and ask Him for that grace in our life, like the grace that the Macedonian churches had. Maybe life circumstances have got you down, and it might be directly related to money. These verses are a testimony to the fact that we can live joyfully and love God fervently despite of our circumstances. The Macedonian churches experienced God's grace and their response was generosity to others. I I think that they probably got together, maybe pooled their finances to give towards this gift that would be used to bless other believers so that they too might participate, uh, as an example, so that they might participate in God's grace. The ones receiving the gift were, were, were going to experience God's grace too, weren't they? God uses His people to bless His people. Yeah, he takes care of His people, doesn't He? Man was given the opportunity to partner with God and experience the blessing of serving Him. I hope we all desire that. Opportunities to partner with God and then experience the blessing of serving Him, the joy of serving Him. Becoming a generous giver is a rewarding pursuit. When we learn to be, when we learn to become the one, when we learn to give, we become the one who receives the greater blessing. I'm going to step out of first, or second Corinthians for a moment and look at another verse over in Acts. Funny thing, this morning at about 4.30 in the morning, I got a text message. That never happens at 4.30 in the morning. And so when it does, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong. I got up, looked at my text message, and it was from my mom. She said, "I, I sent you an email. Check it out. Love, Mom. And then I had my phone there, clicked on my email tab, and Opened it up. I, I didn't know what, what was going on. And the, these, this verse was there. Acts 20.35. She had been praying for this message. And she, this was a verse I was already planning to use. But listen to this, these, this verse in Acts 20.35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself said, here it is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I believe some of you know exactly 
what that blessing is like. You know that blessing that I'm talking about because you are generous givers. It feels great to share with God's people and to participate in God's work. Sometimes that reward, that blessing, we, we experience we experience it now in this life. We experience it as we're you know giving, God blesses us. Maybe it's with joy, maybe it's with uh, some other type of reward. Um, but then sometimes that reward is is going to be in heaven. Uh, we have something to look forward to also when we are generous givers. I believe there will be a reward uh, that is coming. Just as the Lord knows that some are very generous givers, the Lord also knows about those who are selfish and stingy givers, right? He sees it. Let's not play games with the Lord. He knows about uh, the things that we have and the things that we don't have, and, and he's, He expects us to be faithful in both. When we have... When we have resources, money, and the Lord asks us to give and we don't do it, we disobey. We sin. And I don't believe that the Lord is pleased when we do that. With or without our, your gift or, or, or anyone's gift or the, the Corinthians gift or, or anybody, with or without our giving, the Lord is going to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. His will is going to be done. He doesn't need our money, but He gives us the opportunity to participate with what He's already doing. It's a great thing. Let's read on verses 3 and 4. Back, Turn back to Romans again, Romans 8. And let's look at 3 and 4. For I testify that they gave, the Macedonian churches gave, as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. I think the Macedonians probably sat down and took a hard look at their finances and considered what God wanted them to do. And what a great response by them that, that they set by not just simply giving the minimum that they could give, the minimum that they could afford. It seems on the, on the opposite side, they gave as much as they could. They gave as much as they could and they were commended for it. That tells me that they didn't fear what giving generously might mean for them next week or next month or next year. They, they had a, an understanding that God had provided what they had at that time and God would provide what they needed in the future. They did not fear giving. The driving force for them was the well-being of the saints 
to whom this gift was going. It was totally unselfish. And it's clear why Paul uses them as an example. They were thinking of others before themselves. But but hear me carefully. I don't think they were foolish about their giving. Even though it says they gave beyond um, what they could afford, I don't I don't think they were foolish in their giving. Paul doesn't suggest that. I'm not suggesting that. But what I mean what I mean there than not being foolish is they didn't go out and and borrow money and take out huge loans to participate with this. No. They gave from what they had. The Lord had given them a certain amount. Each of those families in those churches had some money. Even though they were very poor, they had some money. The Lord had given them some and they had taken from that small amount and given as they were led. Generous giving should also be wise giving. Not in the eyes of the world. Not in the eyes of the world, but according to God's measure and stick. God's grace had led them to an understanding that everything they had came from Him. And everything they had belonged to Him. There's a verse in 1 Chronicles 29.11. I wonder if they were thinking about or they had been introduced to. It's the, the verse that came to my mind at this point. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. That's awesome. And they, in their maturity, they understood and embraced the idea that God owns it all. And they were only managers of his estate. And they pleaded with Paul for the privilege, the privilege to share in meeting this need. I love their eagerness to participate in spite of their poverty. I love it. I, I, as I read this the first few times, I was kind of wondering, why, why did they have to plead with Paul in order to participate? Well, I, I suppose Paul probably knew about their own condition, their poverty, their suffering, Paul was familiar with what was going on there in the Macedonian churches. And he didn't want to burden them anymore because of that situation. But even unexpected to Paul, God was doing work there and he was moving to meet this need in those churches. And so even though Paul was like, you know, I I really don't expect anything here, God was at work there. And uh, God had already chosen to use them to meet this need. And their hearts were eager to join. See, God had done a work in their hearts. Let's look at verse 5. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then to us in keeping with God's will. I believe God was doing work there and that it is true that it was his will for them to share in this gift, in this generous gift, but it was first and foremost God's will for them to be dedicated to him. And they, they seem to have got that. In dedicating themselves to the Lord, they were dedicating themselves to his work and to his servants. The Lord was going to use these believers who had fully given themselves to him and blessed them in marvelous ways. The Corinthians who were hearing this, who were reading this letter, they must have been thinking, wow, I want in on that. That sounds like good stuff. I want to be a part of that. Let's go on to verse 6 and 7. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Although the Macedonians had given a significant gift, it sounds like, there was still opportunity to participate in this need that Paul was collecting for. The Corinthians were apparently better off than the Macedonian churches. And knowing this, I think Paul encourages them in their generosity. They weren't facing extreme persecution at this time. They were not in desperate financial situ situations like the Macedonian churches were. So it would make sense that they had all the more reason and all the more resources to be generous. But it wasn't the case. Somehow along the way, they dropped the ball. They were the ones giving less. The ones who had more were giving less. They started giving to this need about a year before, though. And it was great because Paul commends them um, that they had started. They were the first of the first to be eager to participate in this need. Yet it kind of got maybe a few months into the year and it kind of stalled out. Giving stalled. And they needed a bit of encouraging. So what does Paul do? He appeals here in these verses to their desire to excel in spiritual things. This is something that they were good at. These guys did want to please the Lord. They were spiritually minded. Their hearts were committed to the Lord. It says that they excelled in faith. They excelled in speech. They excelled in knowledge. They excelled in earnestness and they excelled in their love for us. These folks were growing. They were uh, spiritually minded people. So Paul says, don't stop there. Keep going and keep growing. Specifically 
in the area of giving. Can you think of someone in your life who has encouraged your giving? I can think of a long list of people from this body who have taught me by their example how to be a generous giver. Praise God for that. I pray that I will continue to excel myself in this area of life. I can remember just a few years back, Cindy and I were fearful, flaky givers. Fearful, flaky givers. We had gotten ourselves into a jam financially by the use of credit cards, as often happens, even among believers. And giving was not a joy, and it certainly didn't feel like a privilege. We had a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on us at that time. And we needed a lot of encouragement, a lot of exhortation to not um, give up, but to also consider being generous givers. That was crazy idea to me. Being a giver and I've got all of these bills to pay, we needed to be encouraged and we were. Let me tell you how that happened. We uh, were invited to participate in one of the Bible studies here at the church, the, the Crown Financial Bible Study that Charlie and Sandy Raymond were leading. And we were, as we got into the study, we began learning uh, more and more how to manage our finances well. We, we were learning what God was expecting. And I think one of the best things we learned and that I wasn't expecting was about my need to give to the Lord. I wasn't really expecting that, but that was one of the best things that I got from that study. To get back on track financially, we needed to do some things different. We, we needed to include the Lord in our finances, first of all. We needed to, to take an honest look at our finances. And then we needed to, to give, we needed to save, and we needed to, to pay off those debts. But the first thing was including the Lord in our finances. What's cool is that as we did these things and we looked to the Lord to provide for us in creative ways, we we also stopped making excuses for not giving and and that started to become a habit for us. That started to become an, an, something that we were committed to and that we enjoyed. As we gave, it was incredibly encouraging to see the ways that the Lord provided. And what we thought we were giving away, we're going to have less, we actually had more. The math didn't compute, but God did some cool stuff to help us through those times. Within a few years, we had completely paid off that credit card debt. Our finances were back on the right track. We're still growing and learning how to manage all that, but... Through that process, we learned the value and the joy of giving. We now love giving generously. 
And as the Lord directs us, uh, we give as we're able what we can. I would even say that our commitment to giving has brought us closer in our marriage. We're on the same page with money. We both agree we're just managers and God owns it all. If he asks us to give it here, we give it there. If he asks us to give it here, we give it there. Wherever he wants. It's really interesting to me to see the number of times that the Lord has laid on my heart a desire to give to a person or to a need. And and I go to Cindy and mention, Cindy, I really think we need to give a gift to these people. And she says, I was thinking the same thing. And we talk about, we, we come to decide on an amount to give. And she goes, I, I was thinking the same amount. Isn't that neat? God working together through both of us to be generous givers. Where at one time, we were fearful and flaky givers. Very inconsistent. Very afraid of what giving might mean next week. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge... Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. We already did those. Let's look at verse 8. I am not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul, the apostle, had authority, didn't he? In his position as an apostle, he could have made some directives, set out some specific guidelines for the Corinthians. But instead of doing that, he encourages them to compare their giving practices to the folks who were less fortunate. And then sometimes hearing about the sacrifice of others motivates us to do the same. Without being a, a money sheriff or anything like that, Paul is, is sharing about the Macedonians who were giving like crazy and experiencing God's grace poured out on them because Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to miss out on the joy and the blessings. He says, come along. See what God's doing here. Join us. Don't miss out. Look at verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, Paul uses another example. The supreme example. He points to the Lord Jesus Christ and explains the generosity that is demonstrated by the Lord and the demonstration of love in his gift. If, if the giving of the Macedonians didn't motivate them, surely this example would. There is no greater example that can be given. It says that he became poor. He freely went from wealth to poverty. He voluntarily surrendered himself why? 
so that we might become rich. Not, not money rich, but rich in the Lord, rich in His blessings, rich in our salvation. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Was Christ a generous giver? Absolutely. There has never been a greater gift than this given. And he set a standard that we ought to follow. Paul calls it a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, those, those same words are used in the context of giving in Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 18. Talking about their gift, he calls it a fragrant offering and, and, an, acceptable, and, a, and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Our giving... Our imitation of what Christ did, our generosity, um, pleases the Lord. When we offer to Him, it, it pleases Him. Look at verses 10 and 11. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do to do it may be matched by your completion of it. We see again, Paul is giving advice and not orders. They knew about the need that he was collecting for. And at first, they wanted to be the first to give to it. But somewhere along the way, their giving took a nosedive. So Paul's advice is finish the work. Keep on giving until that need is met. But then at the end of verse 11, Paul says, according to your means. I think that's important. Paul was sensitive to their situation also. He wasn't asking them to make a vow of poverty. He simply desires to encourage Proper participation. He's not asking them to do even what the Macedonian churches did by giving beyond their ability. I think he's very reasonable, very fair. But it is expected that they participate as they are able. As they are able. I found an interesting quote. And I'll share it with you. It's by uh, Murray J. Harris. He says... Concerning this verse uh, 12, uh, let's read that first, verse 12. Um, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. He says, God assesses the value of a monetary gift, not in terms of the actual amount given, but by comparing what is given with the total financial resources of the giver. Paul's encouraging proper participation. From what you have been given, give properly. Discovering what that amount is or whatever, or who to give it to or whatever, that's a whole other message. 
We can, we can get into that. I'm encouraging you to consider what, what is a generous gift? How does that impact you? How does that impact me? There's an example in Mark 12 of the widow who came and gave everything. She gave everything she had. Now, if we've been standing there and we watched her walk by and drop a few pennies in the plate, you know, maybe we'd have thought, man, that was cheap, right? But that was all she had. And the Lord recognizes that. You see, He is aware of, of the situation. He knows what we have, what we give. Uh, we can't fool Him. We should participate properly but participate nonetheless. We discover what he wants us to give by, I think, including him in our financial lives. And we have to work at that because it doesn't come easy for most of us. I think by prayer, we discover that. By listening to the Lord's voice, we discover, what do you want me to do, Lord? In this situation, whatever it is, what do you want me to do? Maybe you've been uh, given a bonus for a certain month. Do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I have this extra money I wasn't expecting. What should I do with it? What should I do with it? Let's look on at verse 13. 13 to 15. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much does not have too much, and he who gathered little does not have too little. I think the aim of those verses is to challenge the Corinthians to make burden sharing a priority. There for some, there will be times when you're the one with the burden. You are the one with a great need. And you are the one who is the recipient of someone else's generosity. I've been in that position. When I was a seminary student here uh, at Dallas, there were many times when I experienced incredible generosity from God's people. And I couldn't, I didn't have anything to give. I was the one who received. And then there will be other times when you are the one who has been blessed. And you are the one who can help relieve someone else's burden. And you are the one by God's grace who is blessed to be the giver. I've also been in that position. Burden sharing, I think, should be a, a a priority for believers. It, it wasn't, the generosity wasn't so that some people could just get a free ride. Right? It, it wasn't so that people could lay at home and do nothing. But it was to, to help those folks get back on their feet. So that then they could go and be productive and give and participate in the joy of giving themselves. Finally, let's look at those verses in chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. 
Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. It's a wonderful encouragement for generosity that Paul wants them to remember. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows generously will reap generously. God wants us to discover the joy of giving generously. If you're not doing it, you're missing out. Let's talk about some applications. What are we going to do with these words from Second Corinthians here that we've just looked at? What are, what are you going to do to be a more godly giver? We should take Paul's words and put our hearts to the test. Figure out where you're at right now in your giving. This week, figure it out. Maybe it's time to make some changes. Maybe you're not a giver at all. Statistics show that about one-third of the folks in this church don't give at all. Maybe you're in that bracket like I once was. You need to figure out what's holding you back. For me, it was fear. It was selfishness. At, at times, it was that I just simply didn't have any money. But fear and selfishness, I think, were the bigger issue for me. And I think that was sin. And I needed to confess that to the Lord. And I needed to give. It all belongs to Him. And He wants your participation. So start praying about it. Start praying about it today. But beware, God may convict you. He may, he may move you to action if you have never been a giver. But maybe you're, you are a normal giver. You do regularly give. But maybe you've stalled out a little bit, kind of like the Corinthians had. You know, they had great intentions and, uh, but they just kind of stalled out. Maybe you've stalled at, at a, at a giving level that is, is much below what you can give. Maybe it's time to reevaluate. Do that this week. The Lord is going to meet your needs. And, uh, get, just get back on track. Ask the Lord to help you discover the privilege of giving generously again. And finally, maybe you are one of those givers like the Macedonian churches. You love living in the blessing of generosity. And you love meeting needs. And I know there are many of you that are in that category. Keep on doing what you're doing. You are a blessing and a faithful example of people who are doing it today. 
not way back then, today, keep doing what you're doing. You are a great example. We may never know who the generous ones are in here. Um, but you are a testimony. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for these words on giving. I pray that you will work in each heart in here, from the youngest giver to the oldest, that you will convict us, Lord, if we need to do better. I thank you for these passages, how they have encouraged me in my giving. Lord, I have some things I need to work on, and I pray that I would be faithful to do that. I pray that the folks in our body here would be faithful to put their their hearts to the test and say, God, what do you want me to do? I trust you. It all belongs to you. Show me how I can participate in what you are doing. In your name we pray. Amen.